Hey, Soma. Good to see you. Let's pray. Father, please open your word to us and help us understand what you have for us this morning. In your son's name. Amen. Yeah, good to see you guys. Move a little bit, little bit closer. <laughs> yeah. Um, this week we return to our series on the life of David. Uh, we're on the home stretch uh, with just a couple more talks to go. It's been an exciting run with uh, David and Goliath, David and Jonathan, David and Saul. This week, David and Saul and Nabal and Abigail. <laughs> uh, and over and, all, and through it all, David and God. So uh, it's been great. Um, these chapters that we've recently been looking at are, are the wilderness years. And um, when you think of wilderness, what do you think of in the Bible? Desert, yeah. The Israel in the desert for 40 years and anything else? Yeah, Elijah went through a desert. And Jesus. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. The characteristics of wilderness really are deprivation, temptation, uncertainty and challenge. Uh, will, you, will we obey God in the wilderness or curse God and die, as Job's wife put it? Um, so there's a challenge to us there in the wilderness and the wilderness takes time you know 40 years wandering around in the wilderness for israel it's a long time uh jesus 40 days without food that's a long time and um, david 10 years on the run from saul the decade of his 20s that's a that's a very long time so the wilderness is a long time did israel meet the challenge of the wilderness no <laughs> Did Jesus meet the challenge of the wilderness? Yes. Did David meet the challenge of the wilderness? Yes and no. <laughs> so we'll look at this. But why did this happen to David? Um, why do we go through hard times as well? Um, if the wilderness is an experience that we experience, uh, difficult, hard things. And sometimes that's in a, a chunk of time, like David or like Jesus. But sometimes the wilderness experiences that we experience are kind of woven into our lives. Why do we have to go through these things? What's going on there? Um, what are wilderness experiences for? So wilderness in the Bible is about being tested and prepared. Israel was tested in the wilderness to prepare her for entering the promised land. Jesus was tested in the wilderness before he began his mission. So essentially God uses wilderness experiences to prepare us for what he's called us to do, right? And essentially the wilderness helps us grow up. It matures us so that we're ready to step into what God is calling us to, to do. Just look at David's timeline. Um, you want to go to the next one? It, as a teenager, he was a shepherd, an armor bearer, a leader of men of war, a captain of 1,000, which is pretty impressive for a teenager. Uh, in his 20s, he was in the wilderness. But then, when he reached the age of 30, he became king of Judah and then of Israel and ruled for 40 years. So by 19, he'd won many battles, developed many skills. But what does he really know? Uh, he's still immature. So his time in the wilderness in his 20s is a crucial time where God is growing him up. God is preparing him to be a true king. He's preparing David for royalty so that when he finally comes to power, he'll be the right kind of king and he'll be ready. 
What's the point for us? Maturity matters. We need to grow in maturity to be ready for what God is calling us into. And maturity takes many years and many hardships. Uh, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult thing to, to become mature. And it takes wilderness experiences that we experience. Our culture is kind of instant gratification, isn't it? And uh, we think we can have all the treasures of life immediately. But that's just not how life works. David is clearly talented and gifted as a teenager, but he's not mature. God has to take him through this 10 years of, of difficulty so that he matures as a person ready to be a king. And I've been reading uh, a book, The Making of a Leader, uh, by Robert Clinton. We got that. Um, it's about Christian leadership, but it also applies to all of us. Uh, we're gone somewhere. Yeah, there. Oh, yep. Um, and it's interesting. He, he looks at hundreds of uh, spiritual leaders in history, in the Bible, and in modern times. And he says that there's a real pathway that God leads us through as he develops us uh, for our calling. And it doesn't always work this way, but often this is the pattern. This is how God builds us up and, and develops us. Uh, so phase one is early foundation, where God works through our families and early experiences to form us. Phase two is inner life growth. God grows us in faith and prayer and obedience. And so David is a shepherd boy, you know, learning to trust God as he fought lions and bears and all of that. That's phase two. Phase three, ministry maturing. God grows our gifts and capacities as we take on responsibilities. So David in Saul's court as a musician, then beginning to be a commander of men. Then phase four, God helps us mature as people. So David's wilderness years, he's learning to grow. He's, he's being tested and matured. And that's our focus this morning. And then phase five, convergence, where everything comes together and there's a time of fruitfulness and productivity for the kingdom. Uh, David becomes king at 30 and has this fruitful time. Israel flourishes under his rule for 40 years. Um, now, convergence doesn't always happen when we're 30, right? Uh, and typically it happens when we sort of get to the age of 50, says Robert Clinton. And it's because by the age of 50, we've had enough time to grow in maturity and to understand what God's calling us for and to be equipped to then have a really productive phase of our lives. Uh, sadly, some of us never get to that. And, or some people get there very early, like David at age 30. Uh, Jesus also at age 30. Um, but, but most of us take a long time if we get there at all. Uh, and then phase six is the afterglow. That's kind of the final phase of our lives where hopefully we're retired and, and uh, the fruitfulness of everything we've done in God's name is a blessing to us because people respect and value what we've contributed and honour us and all of that. Now, David didn't really get to the afterglow. His violence and sexual sin meant that his reign ended in shame and heartache. But examples of afterglows I was thinking of would be the Queen, the Queen of England, you know. Uh, you know, a wonderful period of productivity for many years and now she's in the afterglow, very well respected, all the blessings of her reign that she's still enjoying. I thought of Tim Keller, if you know him. He's now retired. He set up this global church planning thing and he's been so influential. And he's just going around in retirement helping where he can and 
people so respect him and think of Billy Graham who died last year and uh, all that he did and he had an afterglow or John Stott and we could name many. Um, now we don't all, all get there, maybe our convergence and afterglow is going to be in the new creation. So, <laughs> so if we don't get there in this life, that's okay. Um, it'll come together for us in the new creation. So many Christians never get to convergence or afterglow um, and it's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to get there. So there's a challenge in this and there's a challenge in David's life. Is he going to step up? Is he going to grow? Is he going to take the opportunity in the wilderness to actually learn and grow, to actually learn what God is teaching him? And are we going to? If God is taking us through these times when he wants us to grow, are we going to respond appropriately in that environment so that we can then step up into a period of productivity and that's what I'm hoping for the next 10 years of my life before I retire hopefully uh, that that this will be a season where I've learnt these lessons and I and things come together for me but for that to happen I have to learn the lessons God is teaching me right now so you see how this works so life matters maturity matters how we respond to what God is leading us through matters if we're to get to where we would like to be, if we're to be able to live fruitful and productive lives as we can. And God puts David through these testing wilderness years so that he matures, ready to become king, so that he's the right kind of king when he does become king. Yeah. So I think we can all apply this to our own lives. God uses wilderness experiences to develop us. He uses sickness, delay, conflict, isolation, hardship, dilemmas, all those things. He also uses encouragement, you know, and the people of God and the word of God and a whole range of things. But he uses these hard things in the mix and these help us to grow so that we become effective and productive as human beings in his kingdom. So let's look at David's story to see how this works. And we're looking at three tests, not just the one we read. So 1 Samuel 24 to 26 David experiences three testings, three tests in the wilderness where his character is being um, tested and developed. We got that, yeah. So tests one and three are two opportunities to kill Saul, chapters 24 and 26, and then test two, the one we read, is he's tempted to kill Nabal, chapter 25. The tests have to do with preparing David for kingship. Um, this is just like Jesus. Jesus had three tests preparing him for his public ministry. And we also are tested in similar ways. So we can learn from these tests about how God tests us so that we can recognise that that's happening and so that we can learn. So test one, the opportunity to kill Saul. We looked at this last time. Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself, do you remember? And he doesn't realise that David and his men are in the hiding in the back of the cave. Whoops. Uh, and David's men say, oh, Saul's coming to relieve himself. He's exposed and we can now kill him. What, is, what will David do? And it's so tempting. He's being handed the kingdom on a platter and he just has to reach out and take it. He just has to kill Saul and he gets the kingdom. He gets the crown. Remember Jesus, Satan says, worship me and I'll give you the kingdom. You know? No need to suffer. I'll, get, I'll just give it straight to you if you worship me. Or Adam and Eve, just reach out and grab that fruit, that forbidden fruit, 
and you will be like God. You know, it's the, it's the temptation of the shortcut, but really it's Satan's temptation. Really we need to submit to Satan to have that thing. Um, and here's the same for David. Just reach out and take the kingship. So this is the first test uh, that David uh, faces. Will David take the crown or will he wait for God to give it to him in God's time, in God's way? Will he trust God's word? Will he obey God? And will he follow his conscience? Now remember, David is a young man. He's still forming his ideas of leadership. Remember, he's fighting for survival. He's living on the edge. He's scared. (laughs) God's promise is taking so long to happen. He must have been so tempted to reach out and kill Saul. And just like Jesus, Jesus... Testing came at the end of the 40 days when he hasn't eaten a thing. He's at a low ebb and Satan uses that moment to come in and tempt him. Uh, And here David, at a low point, he's desperately wanting to stop running. What does David do? Well, you know the story. He lets Saul live, he trusts God, he obeys God and he follows his conscience. The second test is his desire to kill Nabal. Saul leaves and David moves to the wilderness of Ma'on. Ma'on is a high crime district. Uh, Bandits roam the canyons. And David, while he's there, brings a kind of law and order to that society. He protects people from the bandits. One of the men who benefits from David's protection is Nabal, a wealthy landowner. David protects Nabal's stockmen and shepherds. And Nabal's men report that David and his men are a wall around us both day and night. Now, sheep shearing time comes. And sheep shearing is hard work followed by celebration. It's a traditional time in nomadic cultures where you've you've had a prosperous year with the sheep. You've shorn all the sheep, which is terribly hard work. Now you kick back and you party and it's a long celebration the huge banqueting tables are loaded with food and drink and, it, and um, this is what's happening here. And Nabal and his herdsmen are having this wonderful celebration. So David sends ten men to ask Nabal for some food and drink from his tables. It's a reasonable request. It's actually the cultural expectation uh, in that society. And so David expects Nabal to help him. But Nabal says, no way. (laughs) He acts as if he's never heard of David. He says, who does he think he is? You know, he's just a runaway slave, just like all the rest. David's a nobody. Why would I give him my food, my drink, my meat, my water? No, I won't. Wrong answer. (laughs) Wrong answer. David is outraged. David loses all perspective. David forgets who he is. And he sends these 400 men with him intent on killing every last male in Nabal's camp. Whoa, so what will David do? Remember, he's a young man. Uh, He's still learning about leadership. Remember, he's hungry. Remember, he has limited access to supplies. He's in the desert. He's living off his wits. Saul is after him. Nabal owes him too. You know, you can can understand why, why, why David wants to kill him. And worse, Nabal refuses to recognise who David is. How would you feel if you're on the run, you're cut off from civilization, you're exiled through no fault of your own, and then you're disrespected like this? Nabal's lack of appreciation for David is the tipping point. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. David is outraged. 
David is on the rampage. David will kill every last man in Nabal's camp. Now Jesus was so different yet so the same. Travelling around, an outcast, he'd lost John the Baptist, he had mad kings trying to kill him. He must have been so tempted. He had friends betray him, sell him out, deny him. People misunderstanding his mission. Isn't this the carpenter? Aren't these guys his brothers? Don't we know him from birth? He's nothing special. Uh, People reject him. People mock him. Yet he's the Lord's anointed. And Jesus experienced everything David does and more. And yet Jesus did not retaliate. What will David do? Nabal's beautiful wife Abigail gets wind of what David intends and she quickly gets supplies together and loads her donkeys with all these supplies and food, verse 18, and goes to intercept David. And when she sees him coming down the valley with his men, she immediately gets off her donkey, gets on her hands and knees, puts her face to the ground in reverence and says, please, please don't do this. Uh, This is an action not worthy of a prince of Israel. Remember who you are. You are the anointed of God. Uh, Don't have this man's blood on your hands. Let God deal with him. Yes, he is a fool. My husband is a fool. But let God deal with him because you are the Lord's anointed. And then she says, verse 29, The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Hmm. So you're going to be protected, David, and bound in a bundle to the living God, but your enemies hurled away like, a, like from a sling. So she's making a reference to David's uh, slingshot prowess uh, there against Goliath. So she's really clever, this, this lady. <laughs> um, and when David hears her, he immediately, immediately backs down. He's so, he's so soft-hearted to, to God. His conscience is so tender here. He immediately recognises that what she says is the word of God. Praise be to the Lord who has sent you this day to meet me. And immediately his mood completely changes and he turns away from revenge. And he says, thank you for keeping me from blood guilt. Ten days later, Nabal drops dead. God deals with him. And David wastes no time. He sends for Abigail, courts her and marries her. And Abigail is part of David's life continuously after this. So that's the second test. And thirdly, another opportunity to kill Saul. David has another another chance to kill him, but he's really clear now. And his faith is stronger than ever. And he stays the hand of his men. And he knows that God will deal with Saul in God's own time, just as God dealt with Nabal. So what's happening through these three tests is God is maturing David um, and preparing him for kingship. I see three aspects here quickly, uh, and three aspects that we need to learn as we understand what God's doing in our lives. Firstly, conscience. David is learning... um, to be sensitive to and to follow his conscience no matter what. So in 1 Samuel 24, David's heart is palpitating after he cut off just a corner of Saul's robe. Literally it says his heart smote him, you know. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I have a conscience thing going on, I have physical manifestations. 
a cold sweat going up and down my spine or I can't sleep, I'm just t tossing and turning. You know, when you're wrestling with your conscience and your heart is palpitating and you've got a cold sweat, that's like the red lights on the dashboard in your car going off to say that there's something wrong with your engine, <laughs> right? And so you have two options. You can either smash the dashboard and get rid of the lights, right? Or you can find out what's wrong and correct it. And obviously, if we smash the dashboard and smash the lights, we're in big trouble because we have cauterized our consciences. If we keep ignoring our consciences, we sear them. We become hardened in our hearts and uh, we, we lose our ability to know what's right and what's wrong and we're in deep trouble as people. And so this is the first thing in this wilderness experience of David. He learns to be sensitive to and obedient to his conscience. He guards his conscience. Um, yeah. And if we lose our capacity to know what's right and wrong through our hearts, we're in serious trouble in the wilderness. And God is teaching us to be sensitive to those consciences, to, to, to nurture our conscience uh, through soaking our consciences in the word of God and through being careful to always follow our consciences. And uh, Paul the Apostle says this in the New Testament, never go against your conscience. Uh, guard that conscience, protect it, or you'll lose it. You'll deaden it. You'll numb yourself to it. And the wilderness can go that way. In the hardship, in the struggle, it's so easy for us to ignore our conscience. And we pay a price for that. But David learns to follow and follow and follow at every moment his conscience. It's quite a thing with David. He's so quick uh, when his conscience flares up to do what that is saying. Um, so this is very important, firstly, for us in our wilderness experience. Secondly, David is learning obedience. He's learning to hear and obey God's voice. And again, his sensitivity to God's voice, his openness to God is seen in this second test with Abigail. Because as soon as she comes and bows down and says things to him, immediately he is sensitive to the fact that this is God speaking to him. He's immediately aware that God has spoken and he immediately obeys. So again, this is so crucial for our lives in the wilderness to learn that skill, that heart posture where we know God's voice, we recognise God's voice and we immediately obey. God is teaching that to us through this wilderness journey that we're on. And then thirdly, God's word. David is learning to understand and to trust God's word to act on the basis of God's word. He's learning to make God's word the absolute foundation of everything he does. Whatever the circumstances, whatever is going on, whatever providence looks like, you know, he might have an opportunity to kill Saul. It does, doesn't matter. He will only do what the word of God says. Um, and uh, this is seen particularly in this third test in 1 Samuel 26. David is now fully trusting God's word which is to leave vengeance to God and to trust God's promise that David will one day be king. Yeah. So, okay, so what, what are we meant to learn in the wilderness so that we can be effective and productive in our lives? 
so that God can really use us for his glory. We've got to learn these things. These aren't random things. These are the heart and core and soul of what God's trying to teach us through our lives. To have sensitive consciences, to be quick to follow them, to never go against them. And, but make sure you soak those con- that conscience in the word of God so that it's a healthy conscience. But as you guard that conscience, it'll be stronger, it'll be clearer. The more we go with it, the clearer we become in understanding what's right. Similarly, an open heart to, to God in obedience. Obey at every point. If, if, if someone comes and says you've, you've sinned, quickly repent. Confess your sin. Um, this, this, is, this is just the crucial aspect that David needs to have down pat if he's going to be a king like he was. This amazing, the greatest king that Israel ever saw until Jesus. He can only be that because he learnt open-hearted obedience, sensitivity to conscience. And out of that obedience, things get clearer. The more we obey, the clearer it becomes that it's important to obey, the more we want to obey. So we're learning this. We're learning the priority of obedience to God and recognising his voice. And then thirdly, trusting his word as a foundation for our lives. Um, And, yeah... So this is absolutely crucial for David's preparation for kingship. And I guess the point is, if he doesn't learn these things, he's not able to do it. The point for us is, if we don't learn these things, we're not able to progress. Uh, Israel stayed in the desert for 40 years or more because they wouldn't learn the lesson. They wouldn't learn to obey. They wouldn't learn the things I'm talking about. We cannot be effective and productive in the kingdom of God unless we learn to follow our conscience. This is about integrity, to be true to our inner convictions, to what our our heart is telling us. We have to go with that and learn to go with that. It's about integrity. There is no productive Christian life without that kind of integrity, that we're true to our inner convictions and our core values, and we, we operate like that. There is no effectiveness in ministry unless we learn obedience. You know, and, and that includes if we sin to repent quickly and then move on. So a life of confession and repentance. And there is no effectiveness um, in the kingdom of God without a, a, a life soaked in the word of God and founded on the word of God. Um, you see this in David's Psalms as well. He's just absolutely soaked in God's word. And, you know, God's word is the active ingredient which causes the kingdom of God to grow. How can we be effective in the kingdom if we don't know his word, aren't basing our lives on his word, aren't meditating, aren't soaked in it, aren't saturating our lives with it? So these are the key things. And, you know, for us every day is an opportunity to be sensitive to our conscience, to obey God and to joyfully and confidently live on the basis of our knowledge of God's word. But in David's story, we learn that when our lives are especially hard, when sickness, when death, when opposition, when conflict, when deprivation, hunger, disability, dismay, disappointment, complication, uh, people turning against us, betrayal, all these things, it's, it's, it's important that despite that we keep this discipline of following our conscience quick obedience, 
a rich life in the word of God. And David, David's story is he learnt to keep looking to the word of God, keep a tender conscience, keep being quick to obey the voice of God. And essentially this prepared him. And this is a wonderful example for us. And similarly with Jesus, he learned obedience and trust and an open-hearted sensitivity to what is right and wrong. He learnt that, says Hebrews, through suffering. And we, he did it for us <laughs> so that our salvation is guaranteed and there's no, no, no possibility of losing our salvation. But he also did it for us that we might follow his example and learn these key ideas. So what opportunities has God opened up for you through testing experience, experiences and what is he opening up right now for you? One I can think of for myself is was I going to say yes to the process of mediation um, that I've just been through? The opportunity came up for that process. I could have said no. But I understand that if I don't sort of look to God in that, look to God for what I can learn about obedience, what I can learn about trusting him, what, what I can learn about following conscience and what is right and wrong, um, I knew that I had to step into that process and do it wholeheartedly. And I knew that I can't move on to the next level, as, as it were, if, without it. It just, you just don't, you can't live a lot, or, or God will take you through that again until you do learn that lesson, if you know what I mean. So God is patient and gracious for sure. But there are consequences if we will not grow and we will not learn. Uh, are you facing a particular challenge or opportunity at the moment? Maybe your child or spouse or parent is gently and but reasonably suggesting that there are many things about your life which are wrong. Uh, <laughs> attitudes and actions and speech that's, or that you're too discouraging or that you're you know, not offering spiritual leadership or, or whatever it is. This is like Abigail. She came to David and she said that to him. Um, well, that's an opportunity for us to learn what we need to learn. Are you really angry like David was when Nabal rejected him? Are you prepared to go with God through that and learn about your anger and whether that's justified and what, what, what are the fundamental things that you need to change as you obey God and base your life on his word? Yeah, don't miss the opportunities that God is giving you. Um, he's our loving father and he wants us to grow. He loves us and uh, he knows what's best for us. So I'd like to have a, a time of prayer as we pray for each other on this. And if you feel uncomfortable praying, please don't. But I love groups of four or five. And we'll, we can use Philippians 1, 9 to 11 uh, if you don't know what to pray. That's a wonderful passage to, to pray around this stuff. And uh, I'll give you a few minutes and, and then I'll say amen.